Hello there, welcome to MMA Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're gonna to discuss week number five of Dating White Contender Series 2022. That is, just in case you're watching this like in the future or in the past or whatever else, 2022, week number five. You know the drill, Tuesday night, eight o'clock p.m. Eastern, Las Vegas, Apex Arena, five bouts. We have one female fight in the card again this week. The main event is gonna be a heavyweight bout between Eduardo Neves and Michael Parkin, both undefeated fighters and heavyweights, so it should be some excitement. We'll give you our favorite picks to win each fight, discuss the background of each fighters and tell you why we like whoever we like. Also discuss some of the prop bets. Some fights were better off looking at the prop bets instead of choosing a side. Unfortunately though, the numbers of the prop bets are not out yet. We'll do the best we can to give you a guesstimate on them. At least we have the lines for the money line. We'll discuss those with you. With all that said guys, we're gonna start first off by talking about our summary of week four, how we did, and also a quick summary of how we did in the season. We'll start with that and then we'll jump to this card. Here okay, just a recap of week four, how we did. We ended up being negative, negative 0.62 units. So just about 62 bucks total in losses. The straight picks, that was where we definitely played the price. We were on Thomas Paul with a quarter unit at plus 280. He lost that fight in the main event. We liked Ivan Valenzuela, and we weren't alone. A lot of people liked Ivan in this fight. Very disappointing end to that fight. Ended very quickly. He got knocked out in round one. He just had a small moment of lapse in judgment. Tried some type of like back fist thing. Didn't work out. Gets knocked out. We had a quarter unit on him. Lost that. We liked Joe Johnson. We got him early. We had him at around plus 200 on the main line. He opened at like plus 350 somewhere on some books. We had a stab on him at a quarter unit. That paid out 50 bucks or a half unit. And then we were on uh, Claudia Lente to win her fight with a quarter unit at plus 190. And you know, if you watch that fight, it really just depends on how you want to score it. I thought there was an argument for her to win. It was a split decision loss. Round three was the deciding factor and she just gave up a little bit too much control time. And so Haley Kalman, I thought justifiably won the fight. If you want to go into like old school stuff and say, well, Claudia finished on top. She was the one with the better optics at the end of the fight. I agree. Unfortunately, not enough for her. So she loses the fight there. and We lose that fight. We had Jack Cartwright versus uh, Jose Johnson. Johnson going over uh, round and a half at minus 230. That was successful. And then Haley Cowan versus Claudia Lete, the fight going over round and a half. That hit at minus 350. We had 0.75 units or three quarter units on that to win 63 bucks. So we won that parlay. That's nice. We had Jack Cartwright in a parlay along with um, Claudia and Haley going over round and a half. Unfortunately, Jack Cartwright, he lost. Then we had some stuff with PFL. We had Pacheco to win. We had Romanoff to win. And they had over round and a half with Claudia Ribeiro and Ivan Venezuela. Terrible there, right? Because the fight ends early for Venezuela, so we lose that. <laughs> Romanov loses his fight, too. So we lost two of the three legs. Of course, Pacheco won. And then the last parlay we had going on was uh, Pacheco and Elena Kleznik. Pacheco to win. She won. We had Wade. He lost in the PFL. Robovics, he won. And then the full fight. The fight went the distance with Cartwright and Jose Johnson. Uh, not going the distance. And that did go the distance. So it was kind of an up and down card for us. To have negative 0.62 units total is not so bad when you have a bloodbath like that in terms of a betting perspective. Now, overall for the full season, all four weeks combined, we are up plus 2.92 units. It's a silver lining because right now, negative 17 units overall. We are negative on the year. But the last four weeks, if we're up 2.92 units, we've done well. Week three, everyone did pretty well because that was the week where all the favorites won. So it was kind of hard not to do well in that card. Anyway, we're on to week five, so we're going to try to get back into the winning column, pick up some W's, creep our way back up at least to even before the year's out. And so let's get started here with the card. Okay, first fight in the card is going to be a women's bout in the strawweight division at 115 pounds between two Brazilian fighters. Can you imagine that? Two fighters from Brazil. There's so many damn fighters from Brazil all over PFL and 
Invicta, every single organization you could imagine. What would the mixed martial arts organizations do without the Brazilian fighters, right? <laughs> anyway, we're back to this fight. Denise Gomez, who's 5-1 and one overall. You may recognize the name if you followed us here on our channel because we do breakdowns for Invicta. And she fought an Invicta 46. Got a nice win. We'll talk about that win in a moment. Anyway, she's a big favorite here at minus 250, depending on what book you're using, which I think that is not an appropriate number for two lower level female fighters that are still earning their way. But nonetheless, she's minus 250-ish. 22 years young, very young fighter, five foot four in height with a 64 inch reach. And she trains out of Piranha Valtudo, which is a very good gym down in Brazil. As for her counterpart here, Rihanna, not to be confused with Rihanna, it's Rihanna. Amanda is her last name. And I thought to myself, do they have this backwards? Is her name Amanda Rihanna? She's kind of got that Ricky Bobby thing going, two first names. Anyway, Rihanna is 11 and five overall, a little more experienced, that's notable. Four and one of her last five fights. A dog here though, at plus 185. She's out of Para Brazil, 27 years old, so a few years older. Five, three in height and a 66.9 inch reach. About a four inch reach advantage there for her, which is notable. And she trains out of Maraja Brothers team, which I believe is also down in Brazil. Now, at the numbers on Tapology, have Gomez to win at 90% to be exact. Wow, that, you know, that's surprising. I think Gomez probably wins the fight, so I'll get out the way. I'll tell you I'm picking Gomez to win. But, man, she left a lot to be desired in her last fight in Invicta. I mean, might I remind you that she got knocked down twice in round two? And the woman she was fighting had not too long before that given childbirth, had given her a run for her money, and she was losing the first two rounds. Anyway, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, I think there's recency bias from the standpoint that Gomez has the win. So you go to Invicta, you see, okay, round three finish. You don't watch the fight. You're thinking, okay, it's Invicta, high-level promotion. You got Amanda. We'll just take the Gomez girl. I don't know it's a safe route. I'm going to choose again Gomez to win, but I'm going to try to give you an argument for both sides as to why I think this fight could be at least pretty close. So for Denise Gomez, she's from Brazil. She's a Muay Thai foundation. She went professional 2017 with no amateur experience. She lost her pro debut via round two TKO. But the fighter she lost to, by the way, is now currently 12 and five overall and a pretty good fighter. So it wasn't the worst of losses. It's aged well, as they say. She's fought in Invicta and SFT, part of this opportunity. And Invicta is a very good promotion. All women's only, but very good high level promotion. She fights out of a right-handed stance. So no southpaw stuff from her, just traditional right-hand stance. Her last fight, that's the only fight I'm gonna talk about for her. She fought Milana Dudavia, a Russian woman this year, round three TKO win on Tapology. But that fight was greasy. She was a plus 100 underdog in that fight. I did choose her to win pre-fight, so I'm glad that ended up working out. I cashed that ticket. But she lost round one and two. In round two, she got knocked down twice. And what ends up happening here is that Milana Dudieva, who had recently given birth, who had a tough weight cut, was exhausted at the end of round two, had nothing in round three, eventually balls up, falls to the ground, and... The referee, I don't know he should have stopped it there. She was tired, yes, but Gomez wasn't doing much. She wasn't landing much damage. As a matter of fact, if you look at the face of Milana after the fight, she had, like, no damage. Nonetheless, it was stopped. I understand it. She was exhausted. Probably would have been finished at some point either way. For Denise Gomez, she came in late replacement. Should be noted. Tough weight cut. She came out there after losing round one and two and came back and got the win. So a lot of positive from the Gomez standpoint when you look at it that way. It's like glass half full, half empty. But let's be honest. She fought a woman who had recently given birth. <laughs> And that woman won round one, round two, you know, so just putting it out there. Now, what do I like about the way Denise Gomez fights? Number one, high finish rate, especially for a women's fighter. Four of her five wins have been by finish and all of them by TKO. She's actually got some hands. She has a win Invicta. So regardless of how I think that win happened or if she's quality win, whatever, it's still an Invicta win. That's a lot more to say than we have from Amanda when we talk about Amanda's background and her topology. And last but not least, she did a great job dealing with adversity in that fight against Milana. Think about it. Late replacement, traveling from Brazil all the way to Kansas, whatever, Missouri, wherever they have Invicta events at. Late replacement, tough weight cut, is losing round one and two, comes back and wins in round ways to finish. What are my concerns now for Gomez? She lacks head movement. That's why she got knocked down twice in round two. Her head movement is not good when the fight starts. 
You get a little fatigue going on, <laughs> that's it. There's no head movement. When you watch the knockdowns, it's like she's there and she's like leaning back, leaning back, leaning back, and then fwapata. The punch hits her and she's like, oh, I'm on the ground. So yeah, not the best on her feet. She needs to incorporate a ground game to have a successful fight. Now, maybe not a finish, but just a successful fight, a path to victory. I mean, put it out there. Last fight, she got dropped twice in round two alone. It's a women's bout. You know, just got to keep that in mind. Let's move on to Rayana Amanda, the woman with two first names. Also from Brazil, won professional 2015. So has been a pro for seven years, it should be noted. Has fought in small regional promotions up to now. So nothing quality, no Bellator stuff, no LFA or Cage Warriors. Very small, low promotions, a lack of, let's say, competition. Put it that way. She fights on a right-hand stand, so both fighters are right-handed. Her fight I want to talk about, Isabella Padua. 2019, a uh, stoppage. She lost the fight. Padua is five and three overall. I watched the fight. What I come away with thinking is that Amanda is raw. <laughs> That's what I come away thinking. Now, granted, it was three years ago, 2019. I get it, but she's raw. Like she'll circle. She's very dependent upon her overhand right. Like she'll throw this overhand right a few times, very hard early in the fight, but doesn't really land. That's her only way of backing up her opponent. Her grappling is average. What I like about her game, what does she do well? Well, she does have good footwork. So she'll let you pressure the pace, but she'll circle and circle and circle and does a good job of it. She also has a powerful right hand when it lands. She'll throw it. It's not accurate, but if it lands, it'll at least get the respect of her opponent. Now, what are my concerns for Amanda? Her strength of schedule is one of the worst I've ever seen. Matter of fact, when you use the term strength of schedule, it should be changed for her. It should be weakness of schedule. I mean, listen to this. Her last four opponents... The last four people she fought, the combined record is 0 and 11. There's no way to decipher who, what kind of fighter she is. Now, I'm not blaming her for that. Good job by her management team. She just fought four people that don't have a single win between the four of them. And now she has a shot on Contender Series? That is amazing. I mean, matter of fact, whoever her managers are, her agents, whatever, I applaud them. That's good work. I love Contender Series. I love Tuesday night MMA action, midweek. I love this shit, dude, right? But damn, we, we're, this is what we're doing now. We're, we're putting people in here who have four fights against people that have no wins. So, you know, we're talking very low level. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's for this reason alone, this number one reason that I'm choosing Gomez. I think Gomez has tons of flaws in her game. And she's very young at 22. And she made some mistakes last fight. And her head movement's terrible and on and on and on. But she's got to be able to beat somebody who has not fought anyone. I think Gomez has just enough to win this fight. Imagine if Rihanna, Amanda were to win the fight. And she would like to get a finish of some kind. And Dana would have to give her a contract. Then this girl, Rihanna Amanda, would go into the UFC and she would get mollywhopped. Like, completely killed. Completely killed. It would just be crazy. I see the fight going towards Denise Gomez. I'm not super confident. <laughs> I don't love the money line here with her being like almost two and, one, two and a half to one favorite. But she probably wins the fight. The better bet might be the fight goes to distance. They are evenly matched. Amanda likes to circle. Denise doesn't have, like, finishing ability. If you look at the last fight, look, oh, she finished the last fight. No, she didn't finish Milana or whatever, uh, Didieva. But Didieva was exhausted, just gave birth to a baby. So this fight likely goes to over two and a half or goes to distance. I'm going to take Gomez by decision. I think it's going to be a no contract situation. Having known what I've just told you, the basics of this, like Amanda has fought no one. Gomez has at least fought some people. I got to give Gomez the edge in this fight. Now she had a full camp, more prepared. Last time I was a last minute thing, a tough weight cut, the whole deal. So I think Gomez gets the fight. We look, we see a better version of her. How will I play it? <laughs> I might be inclined to parlay Gomez. She's one of the few favorites in the card I do like. And the prop I like the most would be the fight going over two and a half, starting around three, and then of course going the full distance. That's your breakdown, guys. Let's this fight. Next up, we have a bantamweight bout at 135 pounds. I want to emphasize 135 pounds. We probably won't see a finish here. A lot of excitement. 
quick twitch muscles. These guys are smaller, a lot of athletic ability, good cardio, but probably will not see a finish. So just keep that in mind. We've got Josh Wang Kim, who hails from San Diego, California, but obviously with the last name Kim, probably has Asian descent, maybe from China. Kim, right? He's 5-1 overall, currently 4-1 in his last five fights. A favorite here, though, big favorite, minus 2.5 to 1 favorite at minus 240 currently. 29 years old, a little bit older on the older side of the athletes we're going to see here on Contender Series. As a matter of fact, there's a guy coming up in a week or two who's 17 years old. So, yeah, on the older side, it's now or never for him. 5'9 in height, but so is Cameron Simone. As for reach, we don't have reach number either guy. Looking at video of them, I'd say their reach is comparable, probably within one inch or so of each other. And for Josh Wang, Kimmy trains out of AMC Pancreation. As for Cameron Simone from South Africa, undefeated at 5-0, 21 years young. Wow, very young fighter. 5'9 height, and he's out of Team CIT. If you glance at his tapology photo, <laughs> he does look young. And I'm going to tell you, it was tough for me watching his film and not thinking this guy looks smaller. He looks young. He looks like he doesn't have anywhere near the man strength yet that he may have when he gets older. But yet when he fights, he has that core strength. I'm going to make a comparison. There are athletes, I'm gonna any athlete, let's say for example in football or something like that, the guys who don't look super big, but their performance is high and they do have good core strength, or a person who looks smaller or scrawnier, but when they deadlift, they're deadlifting, deadlifting big weight. I think Cameron Simone has that. Like he has that really hardcore, good power inside of him, but the book, like don't judge a book by its cover. If you're looking at this book by its cover, you're thinking this kid looks like he's 14 years old in grade school. And he does look very young. If you watch him on film, you get the same vibe, but then he gets into good positions. He actually gets on top of guys. He wins fights. The short and sweet for the short breakdown here, guys. I'm going to choose Cameron Simone to win the fight. I'm a lot of dogs in this card, but I like him a lot in this spot. In my opinion, the fight is a close fight. And I think the dog money is attractive. He has a path to victory. The low weight, 135 pounds, precludes us from worrying about the getting knocked out, right? Now, both guys have submission ability. Both have TKOs. But this, to me, will be their biggest step up in competition. I think these guys match each other very well. So at least looking at it from the perspective of worrying about a flash knockout, I don't think we're going to see that. These guys are going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe for three full rounds. And then it's going to come down to, like, top control, who had more of this, who had the better strikes. And again, from the standpoint of this guy, Cameron Simone, being at a big dog money, I like him in this spot. Now, let's talk more about the background of these two fighters. Let's look here at Mr. Josh Wang Kim first. He went 15-1 as an amateur. That's amazing. 16 amateur fights, a lot of experience. He went professional in 2020, so been a pro for about two years. Good fighting experience. He fought in Cage Warriors and LFA prior to this. Those are both very good promotions. His last fight, matter of fact, no, two fights ago, he fought Arnold Jimenez, and he loses the fight. If you go on Tapology, you see disqualification, illegal elbows. My first thought was like, was this one of those organizations where you can't throw elbows, i.e. PFL? For example, in the PFL, you cannot use elbows. It's against their rules. So I looked at the actual fight, and it was a very disappointing loss for him. He had the fight. It was a close fight. Put it that way. Close fight. But he ends up with this guy going for a double leg takedown, and the guy's head's by his hip. Instead of him taking the, the time to you know reach over and elbow him on the side of the ears, he just, just drops elbows in the back of the guy's head. They're so illegal. But the fighter he's going against is probably losing the fight. And so he's like, oh, shit. Hit me in the back of the head. The fighter drops to the ground. Referee comes in, hits timeout. I would imagine the referee would not have even stepped in if the fighter didn't like fall to the ground and do his like best version of like taking a fake charge in the NBA. He's like, oh, my head. It ends up being the end of the fight. They call the fight. They disqualify Josh Wang for that illegal elbow. He gets the loss there. He was winning the fight, though. Um, what did I see in that fight? I saw a guy who's willing to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. <laughs> He's willing to trade. He does some grappling. He's very flexible. If you have him on his back, he'll try triangle chokes and stuff like that. His, his legs are very flexible. 
though his grappling is limited. Let's talk about his strong suits first, though. Let's look at Mr. Wang, what he does well. Good footwork. He can work off his back foot. What I mean by that is if a guy's pressuring him, he'll circle good footwork, work off his back foot. I saw one fight where the entire fight he worked off his back foot, but that's not his only strategy. You see, it depends upon his opponent because some fights he will come forward. He'll lead the dance. It just depends upon who he's fighting. I guess it depends upon his strategy. His striking is his strongest weapon. On the ground, eh, okay. Looking at his tapology, yes, he has a submission or two. But on the feet, his kicking game is, I think, his best weapon. Good kicking game to the body, to the legs, and even to the head. He does have finishing ability, at least so far against lower-level opponents. He's finished four of his five wins. He switches stances back and forth. So I think his most comfortable stance is his right-hand stance, to be honest with you. But he will go back from left hand to right hand. And he's a very powerful calf kick. That's one part of his game I wish he would explore more. Because when he does low lower his you know calf kicks to the lower part of the leg, they're very powerful. You hear them. Just doesn't throw him very often. I mean, then again, maybe it's hurting him too when he throws that calf kick. Who knows? Now, what are my concerns here for Mr. Wang Kim? He might be too comfortable working off of his back foot. I mentioned before, he's fought before like an entire fight off the back foot. If he goes against a guy who pressures the pace and it's a close fight, like I predict here, that could be just enough to lose on his scorecards. You see what I'm saying? So if he doesn't pressure pace in this fight and he allows Cameron Simone to take the lead per se, lead the dance, and it's a close fight, and I predict it goes to scorecards, that could be just enough for him to kind of lose. So I, I want him to, if I want him to win this fight, I'm thinking he needs to neutralize that, come forward a little bit, and not just work off his back with the entire time. He has some ground skills, but the wrestling is eh, eh. The BJJ is okay. If he fought a guy who was an amazing BJJ guy, I mean, I'm, I guess, of course, that goes for anybody, but if he fought a guy who was above average BJJ skills, that would be a nightmare for him because I see him being very sloppy on the ground. And on the feet, he also can get sloppy. He's the kind of fighter, and it makes sense. At 135 pounds, these guys don't have much knockout power. He'll trade with you. He'll go back and forth. The hands are down. Maybe that's a young fighter thing. I don't know, but he's you know at this point also not very young, 29 years old. But he gets sloppy on the feet. That's the bottom line. On the regional scene, that's going to be okay. But on the higher level, like this is a higher level for him, that can cost you a fight. Now, as for Cameron Simone, the South African, also undefeated at 5-0. He went professional in 2019, so been a pro for about three years. He fought an EFC prior opportunity, which would be EFC, the organization owned by Mr. Khabib Nurmagomedov, right? Eagle FC. His prior fight, he fought Sindale Manangala, 2022, this year, decision win. Big red flag for me. This guy, Manangala, is 8-8 eight and eight overall. So in 16 total pro fights, he's right down the middle. This guy's an average fighter, not above average. He went the full distance. It was way too close for my liking for a guy that's coming out to contender series off of that fight. I mean, he should have should have won the fight outright. Should have finished him because he does have some finishing ability, but that fight he couldn't do it. Now, a prior fight, he fought Corn Blom. I'm not mispronouncing that. It's Corn Blom. C-O-R-N-E, Corn Blom, B-L-O-M, or Bloom. I don't know. 2019, a win via round one KO. That was his pro debut. Nice start to his pro career. On the flip side, I have to thank his management. His management... Or not thank him. I have to highlight his management team. They know what they're doing. Blom is 0-4 as a professional <laughs> and has never made it out of round one. So they gave him a good first opponent. He knocks the guy out in round one, does his job. That seems to be a common theme, though, with guys like Cameron Simone, young, regional scene. They're getting the cans. But he does have some ability. I don't want to overstate, like, you know, that he doesn't have some ability. I mean, I want to overlook that, put it that way. Now, what does he do well? What does someone do well? Excellent kicking game. So much like his opponent here, Kim, their kick game is maybe their best weapon. So I expect like a kickboxing match at parts of this fight where guys are both kicking back and forth, leg kicks, body kicks, head kicks. He fights out of a southpaw stance. Now that's unique. For Josh Wang Kim, he'll switch stances back and forth. But for Mr. Simone, he fights out of a southpaw stance the entire time. Always an adjustment for the other fighter. 
In this case, maybe Kim will be more comfortable because he fights in the southpaw stance himself. He's a solid finish rate. Just like Kim, he's won four of his five fights by a finish. So both guys have the same finishing rate. Now, what are my concerns here for Mr. Simon? He's barely won, he barely won his last fight. So that fight I talked about before. Winning a fight like that by decision against a guy who's 8-8, eight eight, that to me was a red flag. Like once you step up in competition, all of a sudden the submission ability, KO ability, that goes. Your power starts to become average. A little bit of a red flag. Also for him, he looks smaller and thinner and just like the more fragile guy. I can't get it out of my head. And I don't want to judge a book by its cover, but he just looks like the smaller guy. And if you watch their fights, and if you watch Josh Wang Kim, you watch the weigh-in, watch all of it. He looks smaller. He does look smaller. I'm still going to pick him, though. <laughs> I'm still going to stay with Simone to win the fight. He's the kind of guy where, yeah, don't judge book by its cover. Watching him on film, he definitely comes to fight. He's not scared to fight. I think at some point, you know, maybe there'll, there'll be some close moments in this fight where maybe Kim can get some top control, vice versa. But when it comes down to it, these guys fought like 10 rounds, right? Imagine 10 rounds. I think Simone wins six of those 10 rounds. I think he just got that much better of an energy, more of a skill set, more of a striker, more balanced. His, his, his ground game is underrated. I just see a better path to victory for him. And I have to admit, if it was a pick him, I might feel different. But with the price tag being plus, what, almost plus 175 here for Cameron, he's got a shot. And for the UFC, why not? Young, South African, that market's still pretty much untapped. Experience-wise, identical. You got 5-1 versus 5-0. Same amount of time in the cage as a professional. Cardio-wise, they both check out. Finishing ability looks good for both of them. Four to five fights, they both finished, but it's against who? You know, kind of a question mark. Striking, they both have striking ability. I think that's where the fight's going to get exciting. That's where we could see a possible finish. I think still go to distance, but some damage, some exciting moments. And as for grappling, I'm curious there. Who's the better grappler? If it gets to grappling, who wins that battle? If the prop gets released on your book, the fight goes the distance would be the prop that I would look at the most. That, to me, would be the best betting spot. I like Simone, the South African, to win the fight, but not going to contract. By decision, that's your pick. That's your breakdown. Go look at this fight, guys. Moving up the car, we have a flyweight bout at 125 pounds between Arison Ferreira from Brazil and Jesus Santos Aguilar from Mexico. Now, Ferreira, you might recognize the name, was on the show last year. Won the fight by decision. Did get a contract. He's now back for round two. I did hear a stat out there that fighters who have come back to the contender series a second time, all of them have earned a contract their second time around. So if that is true, Harrison Ferreira is in good company, right? We'll go over that prior fight last year when we go through his profile. Go to the details here. Harrison Ferreira goes by Gato, which means cat in Spanish. I guess it also maybe means cat in uh, Portuguese, right? Similar language. 11 and 1 overall, 5 and 0 his last five fights. A big favor here, minus 280, almost minus 300, depending on what book you're using. Mind you, last year when he fought, he was a minus 700 favorite in that spot on Contender Series. We'll talk about that again when we get to it. But he's been a favorite here the last few fights. He's out of Pariba, Brazil, 31 years old. 5'6 and hybrid 70 inch reach. And he trains out of Eduardo Machado team, which has a few guys on this fight card. Jesus Santos Aguilar from Mexico, 7-1 overall. 5 in his last five fights. A dog here, plus 200 out of Baja, California, Mexico. 26 years old. Five foot three in height. This is very notable. It's three inches here on topology. It may even be more. He tends to be the shorter fighter. He's going to have a reach disadvantage, a height disadvantage, and that's going to play into, obviously, the Eris and Ferreira side for his camp. If you think he's going to win, that reach advantage will play a part in this fight. As for the gym that Jesus is out of, Jesus, I don't have it here listed on topology, and I didn't look it up. If you know it, put it down below here in the comments section. I appreciate that. Now, look at the votes in topology. Interesting. So Santos Aguilar is getting 57% of the votes with 444 votes in, with 23% coming in for Ferreira. So Santos Aguilar is the favorite. Could that be recency bias? People watching 
Arison Ferrer fight last year as a minus 700 favorite, go to decision, not dominate the fight. Some people thought he lost the fight. It could be some of that. But when you look at just the numbers here, the side-by-side comparisons, if you didn't know who these people were, one guy is much bigger. It's hard to overcome that. I'm going to give you the short and sweet of it. I am going to choose Jesus Santos Aguilar to win the fight, but it's for two reasons. One, it's big dog money. If you want to get a better return, you got to take a sniff on this. Number two, he does have a path to victory. He does have a way to make this fight ugly. He is a grappler wrestler. He can make it happen. So out the way, out the gates, that's my pick. I like Jesus Santos Aguilar before we get into the longer breakdown here. So for the longer breakdown, the people that want to keep listening, let's go further into the background. If you want to move forward in the video, that's why we have timestamps there. You can just jump forward and go on to the next fight. As for Arison Ferrer, he's from Brazil, fights in a right-handed stance. He went professional in 2016 with no amateur experience. He fought in jungle fight promotions prior to this opportunity. He won a Daniel Contender Series last year. We talked about this. So last year, comes in as a minus 700 favorite, and he fights an Asian fighter, Q Lun, Lun Q. Sometimes the names are reversed. And he loses, sorry, he wins the fight by decision as a minus 700 favorite. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's my humble opinion. He lost round one and two of that fight. He got knocked down in round one. He kind of got bullied a little bit in round two. Round three, okay, let's give Arison Ferreira round three. But when the scorecards came out, it was all three scorecards for Arison Ferreira. I remember this fight vividly. I had a little bit of a sprinkle on the dog. And he didn't win. I was like, whatever. But I thought to myself, I thought this guy won. Listen to the broadcast. Fast forward to the end of the fight. You hear Biz Bang and company saying that, listen, they were really surprised. Now, granted, they're not the measure of all correct decisions. But it was seemed as if Ferreira may have lost the fight. He wins the fight. Like, wins the, the battle, loses the war because Dana White says, hey, dude, you know, you came in here as a minus 700 favorite and you kind of didn't really win the fight. We'll see you next year. So now he comes back here after that fight, which is a year ago. I'm going to tell you, if if you like Ferrer, watch that fight closely. There's a handful of things in there. He gets a little sloppy at times. He gets reckless. He gets clipped. It, it's, a, it's a plethora of things. You could flip it over and say, well, he got through it. He came back and he won the fight, right? Okay, so you can look at it that way. Now, what's to like about Arison Ferrer? He got seriously hurt in that fight. So he gets clipped and shows he's got some survival skills. For a young fighter, you love to see that. It's like a half glass full, half glass empty situation. We do like the fact that he came back. We don't like the fact that he got clipped. <laughs> he has displayed excellent ability to get up if he's taken down. You do like that. He's the longer fighter. He will have to defend takedowns in this fight. But in the past, from the film that we've watched in him, he does get back up pretty quickly. He has a very high finish rate so far. The only he has a very high finish rate so far. The only question would be the caliber of competition. Is he fighting guys that are quality? He's fighting guys that have a winning record, but it's like, again, you know, who are these people? He tends to be a slow starter. That's one of his biggest crutches. And if you look at that fight against uh, Lou last year, that was a bit of Lun, I'm sorry. That was a bit of the issue. He came out a little bit too patient, and Lund came at him like a crazy man. So he dropped around one and got knocked down around one. Most of his opponents have been very low level. So it's hard to measure, again, his skill set. This is a common theme for all contender series fighters. We're not trying to pass the buck here and say we don't know, throw our hands up in the air. The reality is he was a minus 700 favorite last year, and that was way off, right? You look back at that fight, even the books were off. People were way off. There's a lot of question marks about these guys. You could have a guy coming into contender series undefeated, 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, knocking on every single person. Look back at those people. You're going to find some question marks. It's low-level promotions. There's a reason why they're fighting in combate or smaller regional promotions, and they're not fighting in a higher level just yet. Now, what are my concerns here for Ferreira? Well, I mentioned it before. And the last thing that I have for Ferreira is he tends to get a little bit sloppy. So if you watch this fight last year against Lund, he gets his hands are never really high. Like He's never holding his hands up, like protecting his face. They tend to be under his chin. Once he starts exchanging, he's a longer fighter, gets a little bit sloppy, goofy, 
loses technique. It's it's a mixture of all that. I think it's indicative of a younger fighter. I'm not criticizing him for that. I'm just saying that's what we see on film is that he gets a little bit loose at times. Remember last week with Ivan Hernandez? It's a fight where most people had him picked to win, but he never gave himself a shot because he made one mistake. Tried some spinning back fist thing that had no real chance of doing anything. Let's talk about Jesus Santos Aguilar, born in Mexico, now fighting out of Baja, California, Mexico, where professional 2015 with no amateur experience. He fought in Combate Global and UWC prior to his opportunity here with Daniel Contender Series. His last opponent, Christian Barraza, that was last year, 2021. He won the fight by decision. Barraza's 8-6 and six overall, and that was a war. It was back and forth, a lot of grappling. At some point, Barraza had back control on Jesus. At some point, Jesus had top control. F and close, put it that way. Both guys had excellent cardio. And it shows you that Jesus Santos Aguilar, that's what he wants to do. He wants to grapple, fuck you. He wants to fight you on the ground, push against the fence. That's his most realistic path to victory because, again, he is shorter. Reach disadvantage, high disadvantage. Jaime Alvarez, 2021, round two submission win. Alvarez is eight and four overall. So at least his last two opponents who he has beaten, one by submission, one by decision, are guys who carry a above 500 record. Now, what's to like here about Mr. Aguilar? He likes to work in close and put his opponents against the fence. He will be the one leading the dance. If he's backing up for some reason, he's either hurt, gassed, or something else of the ordinary is happening to him because he wants to come forward. He wants to push you against the fence. He wants to close distance. He does a good job of it, too. I mean, he knows he's a shorter fighter. He's aware of this. He knows he can't sit out there like Muhammad Ali and land jabs for three rounds. It's not going to happen. He's also got solid submission ability. We talked about, again, he's not great at distance, not good at boxing. Look at his numbers. Of his seven wins, five, he's won by submission. He knows where he's putting his bread. And he also likes specifically the guillotine choke. His last three submission wins have all been by guillotine. Now, what are my concerns here for Jesus? If he cannot get the fight to the ground, if he cannot tie him up against the fence, meaning Ferreira, he will lose the fight. Punto. There's no other way to put it. He will lose the fight if the fight's on the feet for three rounds. Here's the question mark about this. Could there be some pressure? I saw an interview. It was on MMA Holes. There was an interview there with, was it Concrete Carpenter? The fighter who fought last week on Contender Series and got the win. He like dropped round one, came back, one round two, round three. It was by decision, I believe. He says something like this. I'm glad to have the monkey off my back. I'm glad to be able to have my contract and have my chance down the UFC. And then specifically said, you know, and I definitely, you know, don't want the pressure of like, how do you win and like getting a finish. And he used the word, he said, it's disgusting. You see, because a real mixed martial artist will tell you this idea of making us into like bloodbath warriors and you have to get a finish and you have to finish him like a video game. We love it as fans. We do. We do. We all love it. But Dana is playing on that and you could hear in the tone of Carpenter's voice. And I'm sure he represents a lot of mixed martial artists that say, I'm in there to execute my technique. Okay. We heard Rose Namajunas talk earlier this year about how, why does everyone want me to get all beat up and bloody? These are people too. We like this as an entertainment. We want to see blood. We want to see what we saw with Luke Rockhold and, and uh, Acosta this past weekend. I get it. You know, at the same time, like, you know, a carpenter just told you. Like, it's disgusting when people tell them they have to have a finish to get a contract. Now, all that said, back around to my point here. If our man here, Jesus Santos, comes out and scraps his entire strategic benefit of going to the ground and grappling and doing what he does well and tries to get something wow on the feet, he will lose. He will lose. Unfortunately, he will lose. So hopefully he sticks to his game plan. He has always been the shorter fighter. He's going to have a three to four inch reach disadvantage in this fight, about a two or three inch height disadvantage. He's always a smaller fighter. He cannot stay at range. And last but not least, most of his opponents that he's fought against have winning records. So that looks good from that standpoint. Again, you got to question the quality of the opponent. We're just not sure who these guys are fighting. My last few thoughts on these two fighters, my last few notes that I did like the side-by-side -side comparison. 
Experience-wise, you have 11 and 1 versus 7 and 1, about the same amount of octagon time. Cardio, both very good with cardio. So if this fight goes late, expect these guys to go in back and forth and still be working their ass off and trying to get a finish or trying to at least fight. Finishing ability, they're both capable of finishes, but it's kind of ironic. The minute they take a step up in competition, a decision, right? So last two fights for both these guys have gone a decision. I suspect this fight also goes to decision. So though they have finishing ability, I touted the finishing ability of Jesus Santos Aguilar with his rear naked chokes and guillotines. I don't know that it works against Arison Ferreira, who's pretty game and a good fighter himself and also from Brazil. When it comes to striking, advantage to Arison Ferreira, clearly. Longer arms, more natural striker, kicks, everything he does at range, he will be much more superior to Aguilar. When it comes to grappling on the ground, I give an advantage to Aguilar. Now, it's a slight advantage. He's going to have to keep Ferreira down. He's going to have to maintain position control. He is the smaller fighter. So from a betting perspective, I, I do want to take a shot on Jesus here. I, I think it's worth a sprinkle. Now, how much? Not sure offhand. It's plus 200. It's not like an amazing return. It's not like plus 300 or something like that, but it's still plus money. To bet on Arison Ferreira, you're, you're betting on the fact that no Dana White Contender Series fighter ever came back and lost their second fight. That's a good thing. He may have matured the last year, trained, got things out of his system. Last fight kind of caught him off guard. He's more matured. His second time around. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to like Ferreira. But damn, at minus 260, a guy who kind of laid a dud last year at minus 700. Yeah, he won. But, like, it was a dud. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. So I'm going to probably place a bet of some kind on Jesus Santos Aguilar on the money line. Not sure how much. It won't be very big. Nothing more than a half unit. But the best bet, I think, in this fight is the fight going over a round and a half, over two and a half, starting round three, going the distance. I see two tough guys. We're talking about a Mexican and a Brazilian. I mean, traditionally, very durable cultures. And so I think these guys go the full distance, toe-to-toe, and we see Aguilar switch out, switch out, excuse me, squeeze out a decision via the grappling control time. And let's hope the judge get it right, because last year when Ferreira fought Lund, I thought Lund won, but hey, man. Is what it is. So nothing against Ferrer. I like him. I think he's a good prospect. He's only 31. Well, actually, time out. He is 31, interestingly enough. So he is the older guy. If I'm looking at an investment standpoint from the UFC, 26-year-old Aguilar might be the better investment. At the same time, though, it's going to be ugly fighting. So it's like it's a give or take. I think Ferrer gives you a more exciting fighter. He works at range better. He's going to be more explosive, more flashy, more cheers. Aguilar is going to lay and pray, good position control. But I think it wins the day in this fight. So that's my pick. I'm on Aguilar to win. Let me just guys think here. Give me some comments down below. And as usual, if you look down below in the description here on YouTube, you will see the video library there with a ton of links for prior fights about the fighters we're talking about. Let's move on. We're up to the co-main event. It's a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between Amirianko Golatse, who goes by the Sniper, versus Darius Flowers, who goes by Beast Mode. Darius Flowers is 11-5-1 overall. He's an American fighter, 4-1 his last five fights. Based out of Iowa, but was born in Chicago. 27 years old, 11 months, about to be 28. Matter of fact, his birthday is this week. He turns 28 like two days after the fight. Hopefully he gets himself an early birthday present, right? By getting the win. Only five foot nine compared to the six foot two for Amirian. So he'll be about three inches shorter than his opponent. 72 inch reach. He trains out of Chicago Fight Team and Elite Boxing Academy. As for the Georgian fighter, Amirian Gogolatse, who goes by the sniper. He's 14 and two overall. Four and one his last five fights. He's 24 years old. So about three years younger. Age is not much of a factor. He's six foot two, a little bit taller. No reach number on Amirian Gogolatse, but having watched him fight on film, I'd say his arms are comparable to his height. So you have about a little bit of a reach advantage here over Darius. He trains out of UFD Gym. The votes on Tapology are coming in strong for the Jordan fighter. 89% to be exact for Gugolazzi, only 11% for Flowers. I get it. 
the main line just came out and the main line has Gugolazza as a big favorite. Matter of fact, at minus 300, it immediately made me take a double take because I'm thinking to myself, well, this is before I've watched film. I see the money line. I'm thinking to myself, well, Gugolazza must be much better, right? He's got some pluses, definitely. I mean, there's some exciting things about his game. We'll talk about it, but it's hard for me to back a contender series fighter at minus 300 it just seems a little bit outlandish i'll go over the breakdown with you i think amirian gugolazzi can win but this is like a toss-up this is a 50 50 fight for my opinion so i think the dog is alive and well and if you want to get some value here on the main line darius flowers deserves a play the best bet though is definitely going to be distance props here these guys have high finishing ability, high finish rates. Amirin Gugolazzi fights like a wild man. So when the props come out for the fight not going to decision, if that's not too chalky, or the fight going under two and a half rounds, or the fight not starting round three, those are the props that I'll be attacking. I'll be playing those for sure. To play the money line, I'm going to put a sprinkle on Darius Flowers, but uh, hard for me to get invested here with Amirin Gugolazzi when it's minus 300. Maybe I'll put him into a parlay. That's how I'll deal with it. Okay, looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk first about Amirin Gugolazze. He's from Georgia and fought most of his early career in the mixed martial arts scene and the regional scene in Georgia, which is not bad. You're talking about a hotbed, that part of the world where there's a lot, a lot of fighting. He went professional 2014 with no amateur record. He fought an M1 Challenge, very good promotion, and UAE Warriors. So coming off of a good competition, his last opponent, Marcos Silva, that was this year. He won that fight Round one TKO, Silva is 7-3 overall, so not the worst of prospects, a decent win there. He fought Morat Kimer also this year, round one TKO win. Kimer is 5-3 and three overall, and that was a, you know, that record doesn't really give you an idea of how bad Kimer was in that moment. He gave no type of challenge. Matter of fact, it was maybe the first or second shot that Amirian Gugolazze landed that ended the fight. The guy just went down, held his head. Not much competition there. He also fought a guy named Shuriate. Shuriate, that was the main event of an event in GFC 2021 last year. It says he won by a submission win or submission TKO type of thing. What happened was he was on top of this guy on the ground just beating the hell out of him. And the guy just started tapping the mat like, hey, I went out of here. Uh, very impressive win. Again, quality of competition. I'm not really sure. What I liked about the Jodiat fight was that he went at this homeboy. He went at him like it was personal and basically whooped his ass everywhere in every way, shape, or form. And he won the fight pretty quickly. The guy's got an edge to him. When I'm talking about Amir Gugolazzi, he wants to finish fights. For example, his last eight wins, seven have been by finish. He's also very durable himself, has never been finished. That's important to note because some people who are high finish rate guys also tend to be getting knocked out. They tend to be reckless, and so they don't have a very good chin. In this case, so far, so good. His only losses were both competitive losses. One was by a majority decision. The other one was very close as well. So he's never been beat the hell up or obviously finished. Has fought in the main event of smaller promotions. I mentioned that because he's used to some brighter lights. Now, granted, it's not like PFL or Bellator or UFC, but still having B on the main card for a small promotion is a bit of a, a leveling up for younger fighters. He brings the fight to his opponent. And what I mean by that is, if you're gonna be betting on Gogoladze, you're gonna like the fact that the guy will not give up. He comes forward, he sets the pace and pressure. He's got a lot of confidence in himself, put it that way. So if you're betting on him, you do like that. He has a high motor, high energy, he's going for it. And we mentioned before, of course, the high finish rate. Now check this out, the finish rate is high. We mentioned that before, but he has six finishes in round one alone. Listen to these details. So for example, when he fought Silva, he beat him round one, four minutes and 50 seconds, whatever, no big deal, almost round two, right? His prior fight when he fought Kemmer, he beat him in 15 seconds in round one via TKO. When he fought Shirat, he beat him in a minute and 48 seconds, round one via TKO. He beat Kush in 54 seconds in round one. He beat Carlos in a minute and 28 seconds via round one. Valama, 10 seconds in round one. And then also beat Sagov 
by a rear naked choke in round one in 53 seconds. Now, granted, we're talking about not the who's who of the most competitive opponents, but there's a theme here. The guy is going after people. He's coming after you. He wants to finish the fight. You like guys like that. It is very impressive. At the same time, could that be driving this money line out of control? At minus 300, I, I get he's finishing people left and right, but this is a higher level opponent. He's fighting a guy who's actually decent here. Now, what are my concerns for Mr. Amirianko Galati? Well, we mentioned the recklessness of opponents who tend to have high finish rates, but then they also tend to get finished a lot. He is reckless. You see... So far, so good. He's not paying for it, but he comes out like really quite wild. Now, the striking is good. Technique is pretty good. But when you're reckless like that, there's two things that could happen. It's a, it's a two-prong issue. Number one, you can get countered. No question about it. Now, countering mean counter-punched. You can be counter-grappled. So let's say you get off balance and a guy like, uh, excuse me, Darius Flowers, who has some body locks, has some Roman grapples, Greco skills, will look to then take the fight to the ground and get on top of him. That could be a problem. Or number two, does he get, get, get a cardio dip? Does the reckless all-out assault in round one result in a round two or round three cardio dip? I haven't seen that from him recently because all his fights are like round one he wins. But guys who also have that in their pedigree tend to then have a harder time round two, round three, a la Mike Tyson, a guy who had never really been the distance, had been beating everyone right away. When someone took him to deeper waters, that became part of you know the issue for him. So in this fight, I do wonder for someone like... Um, Armani on Galatze, that high motor, that high, you know, propensity to want to finish fights in a round one could become a problem later on in the fight. And my only other concern is we don't know how he responds against better talent. He's fighting cans. He's doing a great job. I commend him for it. But how does he respond when he faces better competition? It's a question mark we have about almost all the fighters in the American tennis series. Now, as for Darius Flowers, the American fighter, based out of Iowa, but again, born in Chicago. He's got 11-5-1 amateur record. That's notable because his opponent here has no amateur experience. That's 16, 17 total fights as an amateur. That's worth something. As an amateur, he fought Josh Fremd, F-R-E-M-D. If you don't recognize the name, Josh Fremd is in the UFC. That was an amateur fight he lost that fight, unfortunately. He has done some boxing along the way, so if you look at his topology, you see some boxing matches in there. He fought an LFA prior to this opportunity. I would compare LFA as either equivalent or better than the M1 UAE experience that uh, Armin Kogalatz has been fighting. Because LFA is legit. Now, his prior opponent, Starius Flowers, fought Tim Hiley this year, round one TKO win. He lands a nasty uppercut. <laughs> and when it lands, Tim Hiley, like, resets. You know, It's like when you hit the reset button on a video game, Tim Hiley resets. And then from there, he goes down. The fight is you know, deemed over TKO. Granted, Hiley is 8-4 overall, and he's 1-5 in his last six total combat fights. He's done some boxing in there and mixed martial arts. So Hiley, uh, not great competition, put it that way. His prior fight, Daniel Gadley, that was also this year, a round two TK win. Gadley is 4-2 overall, so at least he's a above 500. He used a very strong body kick to start setting everything up, and then from there finishes the guy. To me, it looked like Gadley had no business in there with my man Darius Flowers. And this is where it gets hard to predict these fights. Let's be honest. We're watching their prior film. We're trying to gauge an idea of what they can and cannot do. What do they do well? And when you watch them fight against cans, it's tough to gauge how good is this guy because that guy is just not good. You know what I mean? They do one thing which you like for both fighters. They're finishing lower level opponents. You like to see the fact that they're taking the trash out. Now, what's the like here about Darius Flowers? Well, he's very active. This year alone, this will be his fourth fight. Now, check this out. I looked up his topology. I saw these fights in like 2022. Well, there was a span of three weeks where he fought three fights. No kidding. He fought April 16th, April 22nd, and then May 6th. Yeah, man. Three fights in three weeks. On one hand, you're like, 
damn, dude, is a, he's about this life. Like, he's no joke. He's finishing people fast, taking no damage, taking fights often. You love it, right? There's a flip side to it, which I'll talk about in a second. Tremendous punching power, excellent core strength. You notice right away with this guy, he is stronger than most of his opponents. Well, it makes sense, right? He's fighting these cans. But no, he has a core strength about him. He's got a wrestler's type of strength. If he gets that Roman Greco body lock on you, he's going to drag your ass to the ground. And I believe he'll try that at some point here against his opponent. He does like to lock it up and get on top of you on the ground if he can. What are my concerns here for Mr. Darius Flowers? Well, number one, the low-level opponents. We're having a hard time deciphering how good are you, Mr. Flowers. And I'm not, I'm not questioning him. Well, I kind of am. I'm, I'm, I'm not questioning him. I'm saying the competition doesn't allow us to get a real idea. We can't vet the fighters so easily with Daniel Contender Series. And with that said, it leaves a lot of question marks. Durability concerns with Mr. Flowers. Check this out. He's been finished in all five of his pro mixed martial arts fights. And I say pro MMA fights because his three boxing matches, guess what? He's been knocked out in all of this as well. So if you combine boxing and MMA, he's been finished eight times. So there are some durability concerns there with Mr. Flowers. Now, if you like Amir Yungo Galatza, you're saying, aha, you see, he's going to finish him. Okay, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Maybe that's a prop you want to attack is looking at Marian Galatza inside the distance. I'm just saying at minus 300, it is a little chalky for a guy who's making his Dana White Contender Series debut. My other concerns for Mr. Flowers, he's fighting three fights in three weeks. We talked about this a second ago. On one side, you're like, damn, this guy's got some cojones. But how do you train? How do you improve? How do you get better when you're fighting so often? Like the equivalent would be like if you had a football player who doesn't do any practicing and just has a, a game, three, three games in a row, three weeks in a row, no practicing, no time in between to get better. If you're fighting that often, you're not actually making improvements. Granted, the fight experience is important. It's very important for a young fighter. You want to get cage time. That's, that is, that's critical to development. But the actual training part, the actual getting better, learning new things, hard to do that when you're actually fighting all the time. So I'm concerned about that for him. We watched a handful of fights in these guys. The good thing is there's a lot of film out there of these two fighters. You know the drill. Look down below here on YouTube. In the description down below, we have all those links available for the prior fights as part of our free video library. Take advantage of that when you have some time. In conclusion, here's my thinking. When you line up side by side, there's things about these guys you love. The high finish rate, both finishers, striking with power, tons of power. Grappling is okay. They both have some grappling skills. Experience-wise, you could argue that Flowers has more experience because of the long amateur career, almost double the amount. Then you could argue that Amerianko Galatze has more international experience, has fought in guys in M1 Challenge and UAE Warriors. They're very similar. This is why I come to the point of why is he minus 300? Now, if Amirian comes in here, go lots it, and gets a finish and looks like minus 300, great. I, I was wrong. I was doubting him. I just think in this spot, it's dangerous to bet that. I think the best bets here are the fight going under two and a half rounds, not starting round three, or the fight just simply not going to decision. I would be shocked if it goes to decision. The only problem with those props are, what if that prop for the fight not going to decision is like minus 500? <laughs> then you lost the value. But I'll be looking to parlay one of those props as opposed to looking to parlay Amir Gugalatze. For the Gugalatze people out there, the ones that are faithful to him and think he's going to get a knockout here, that prop should be attractive. It should be sitting somewhere around like plus 150 to plus 175, I would think, into the distance prop for Mirian or just a TKO prop for him. Now, if you take the round one prop for Mirian Gugalatze, now we're talking about some more plus money there. Nonetheless, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to choose Gugalatze to win the fight. I, I do think he's got something special here. And that Tasmanian double attitude, it's there. It lines up also. Mathematically, just put it together. Like high finish rate, guy who gets finished. It should line up. There is a but there. I think if you're a sharp better and you take a shot at that plus 240, which I might do, I, I understand it. It makes, makes, makes sense. You're not making money betting minus 300 money line spots on people that are very inexperienced. I mean, look what just happened at UFC 278. Look at Woodson's fight. 
Look at Romanov's fight. Uh, look at Usman. These guys were all around the minus 300 range. So for this guy to be minus 300 here in a spot where he's, a, in essence, a rookie, it's yeah, it's a little chalky. You might be getting set up there by the casinos. That's the breakdown, guys. We like a lot to win the fight, most likely by TKO, most likely early on in round one. That's his MO. But uh, be careful here of this spot. Let's move on. The main event for week five of Dana White Contender Series is going to feature a heavyweight bout between two undefeated prospects. We've got the English fighter who's 5-0, Michael Parkin, versus Eduardo Neves, who goes by Bazal, who's currently also 5-0 and hails from Brazil. The Brazilian is 22 years old, very young, up-and-coming heavyweight, six foot one in height. The reach number we don't have, but having watched him on film, his arms are pretty long, so I'd say his reach is comparable to his height being about six foot one. He trains out of Eduardo Machado team. I do want to mention we've seen a few fighters from that gym on this card. So kind of nice to have some of your teammates in the same building. As for the English fighter, Michael Parkin, who's also 5-0, foot three in height. We'll have about a 2-inch height advantage. We also don't have a reach number on him. I think his reach would actually be shorter based upon his height, having watched him on film. But he's more of a grappler anyway. He's not much of a striker. He trains out of the Dungeon BJJ and also TFT MMA Team Fish Tank. Reminds me of the show, Fish Tank. After the numbers coming on Tapology, it appears that Neves is the huge favorite, getting 89% of the votes, only 11% coming in for Parkin. I don't agree. First of all, it's low-level heavyweight. So we should be looking, first of all, at some prop bets, considering going the distance, under, over. Having watched them on film, there's some cardio issue on one or two of the fighters, or both of them. The way that Parkin fights is a way that sort of drags you down. He's got this ragdoll approach, dragging you to the ground. I think I have a good read in the fight. But I think the best pros the best prop is keep. I think I have a good reader who's going to win the fight. So I'm choosing. I'm choosing. I think I have a good reader in the fight. I'm choosing Parkin to win. He's a dog, so I like that as well. But most likely, the prop I'm going to hammer is going to be the fight not going the distance. Now, looking at the background of these two fighters, let's talk first about Mr. Eduardo Neves. He goes by Eduardo Neves. Middle name is Jose. So I think some people do call him Jose. Jose had no amateur experience. He went pro 2019, has fighting experience in LFA and jungle fight. You like to see that undefeated in both promotions. He fights out of a southpaw stance. That's always an adjustment. His last fight was against Andrea or Andrea Vieira, 2022, this year, around one KO win. Not much to tell you because I saw a glimpse of it, and it was him just basically flailing and going off at the end of uh, round one to knock this guy out. His opponent, Vieira, not much to talk about, low level opponent. But a uh, nice win there. And that was earlier this year. Now, we did watch this film. Johnny Samurai, who also goes by Jal Victor Dos Santos Da Silva. Yes, that's one name. Jal Victor Dos Santos Da Silva. <laughs> he fought this guy. You might find him on Tapology or Sure Dog as Johnny Samurai. 2020, two years ago, a round two TKO win. Now, look, this guy had terrible cardio. The start of the fight is somewhat even. At some point into round two, this Johnny Samurai dude, cardio completely done. Matter of fact, the fight is stopped on the feet. They're against the fence. He's just not defending punches, like kind of keeled over. And the ref steps in, waves it off. This dude just literally falls back on the ground. <laughs> like he just had a long day. He's looking to lay down on the mat and just go to sleep. Just terrible cardio. Not a very good opponent. That's a common theme for both these guys and a theme for all the fighters in this card. Let's be honest with you. They're young, up-and-coming fighters. They're not fighting very hard schedules. If they were fighting top schedules, they'd be in Bellator already, or they'd be in the PFL, or they'd be in the UFC, right? So what's the like here about Mr. Neves, the Brazilian fighter? He's active. This will be his second fight this year, and he fought twice last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's got a 100% finish rate. So all five of his fights, all five of them, TKO wins. 
combined record of his opponents, 15 and 11, not so bad. So at least the combined record of the people he's fought has been above 500. His wrestling is limited, meaning that like he's not going to, especially like round two, round three, he's not going to be have enough cardio to be like dropping down for single legs and double legs. These are heavyweights, you know? But he'll go for a trip every now and then, and if his big ass lands on top of you, or his opponent, that is, not on top of you, you're not wrestling him, you're not fighting him. But if he falls on top of his opponent, in the case here, Parkin, these heavyweights are so big, it's like a, a building falling on top of somebody. Even though they're heavyweights too, it's just hard to get back up. You're talking about a massive amount of weight on you if you're tired. This fight very well could come down to that. And that's my concern with choosing a side. Though I think Parkin's the better wrestler, at any point someone makes a mistake and the person who's on the bottom is screwed, and that person could very well get finished in the bottom. You know, that's just my thinking in general. But his wrestling, eh, top control, pretty good. When he was on top control, he has looked good on film. Now, what are his weaknesses? What are my concerns for Nevis? The big glaring red flag, cardio. I've seen him beat guys who their cardio was even worse than his, but it wasn't as if he was fresh. Give you an example. If you watched UFC 278 last weekend, you saw the Costa fight. Costa versus um, Luke Rockhold. Rockhold. In that fight at some point, Costa just didn't have the stamina, the cardio to just ratchet up for a good 30, 40 seconds and just finish off Rockhold. It is what it is. Did he have terrible cardio? No, it was a back and forth fight. There was moments where he had to, you know, kind of defend himself and went back and forth. But in that moment, his cardio wasn't fully up to speed. And if he had the full cardio and could have played the pressure, could have finished the fight. In the case of Neves, that's what I sort of see too. Like he's going to get through three rounds possibly if it goes three rounds, but not, he will not look good late round two. He would not look good late round three. As I'm saying this, I wanted to correct myself on something. I got to make sure I mention this. These are young fighters. 22, 24, 25, 26. They may have fought four or five months ago. They may have fought a year ago. But we've got to keep in mind of one thing. We remind ourselves of one thing. They are so young. What does that mean? They're making possibly huge improvements. From one fight to the next, you could see something massively different. In the case of Neves, if he has any kind of a competent coach or a manager, advisors around him, they've watched these last few fights. Cardio needs to be improved. So if he's made that improvement, that becomes no factor here, but I've seen it be a factor in recent fights. He's also displayed little to no wrestling in terms of wrestling attack. Now he finds himself on top of people sometimes, but it's like people falling, he's falling on top of them. In this matchup against Parkin, Parkin's a pretty good wrestler. I don't think he's gonna have the benefit of just falling on top of Parkin as long as Parkin is using his head. So his wrestling is not great. Once he's on top control, does some good things. He is a natural heavyweight. I like the fact that he at six foot one, he looks taller than that. He looks like six foot two, but he's a natural heavyweight body. The thing is, though, it's not a very well-built body. I mean, it looks like he's a natural heavyweight, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not quite tidied up, if you get my, get my point. And so, one more thing, one more thing. He's vulnerable to leg attacks. That's a two-fold thing. Number one, he's a big guy, stands heavy on the feet. Most heavyweights do, right? His front leg's out there. And then as he gets his cardio going down a little bit, then he's also not good on his feet. He can't move very well. If a fighter were to attack that front leg, he'd get a lot of success there. That's just my opinion. I'm not sure that it's in the arsenal of Parkin, who's going to be looking to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. But if Parkin, who's done some leg kicking at times in his fights, if he attacks that lower leg, at least to start the fight off, that could be a way to sort of change things up, you know, make Nevis think about something else. Now, as for Michael Parkin, the English fighter, he had a 7-0-1 amateur career. Now, that's notable because when you're talking about Neves, who went pro 2019, 
LFA experience, yes, jungle fight experience, but had no amateur experience. With two fighters who only have five pro fights, that amateur record of 7-0-1, those eight fights, that looms large here in the case of experience. I think it does, at least. I mean, maybe I'm overstating it. He went pro 2016. That's Michael Parkin. He's a right-hand boxer, boxing stance, not a Muay Thai stance, not a karate stance, very tall. His most recent opponents, he fought Fatih Octas, 2022 this year, round two TKO win. Octas is 6-11 overall. Enough said. These next few fighters, this was this was funny to me. I went back like one, two, three, four fights, and then I couldn't help but to go back on all his pro fights, right? His prior opponent, Ashley Pollard, he won that fight, TKO. Pollard is 7-8 overall. Simone, the last name is Polish. We'll just stick to Simone. First name is Simone. 2021, last year, round one KO win. Simone is 2-5 and five overall. He fought a guy named John Lysik. Mr. Lysik is 2-23 overall. Thomas Vikas. His first opponent in uh, the pro scene, Mr. Thomas Vikas, is 1 in 12. Yeah, 1 in 12, 2 in 23, 2 in 5, 7 in 8, 6 in 11. Those are the records of the people that he has defeated to be 5 and 0. Huge red flag. If you have fought in cans, almost no matter what you do in there, almost, not, not, not everything, but almost no matter what you do, is not really a reflection of what you could do in a real fight because. Can I draw like a crazy example? It would be like if if somebody who was an 18-year-old, I don't know, athlete, a very healthy young 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 man were to go ahead and fight like a a 7-year-old kid. Of course it's going to look dominating. You know why? Because it's it's an, it's not matched up, right? You're fighting somebody who has nothing, you know, no ability. Could Michael Parkin be a good fighter and then on the regional scene against low-level opponents look good against guys who were too I mean who is this guy who's 2-23 and 23 beating, you know? I'm not blaming Michael Parkin. These are the fights you take when you're young and you're building the record. You want experience. This makes sense. But let's say Michael Parkin comes in there on Tuesday night and just gets completely mollywopped by Neves. Gets, it looks awful. We shouldn't say, oh my gosh, what happened? I'm, I'm surprised. No, he's been fighting very low opponents, you see. Now, what's it like about Parkin? His wrestling, his ground attack, if you watch any bit of film on him, the fight doesn't stand the feet very long. It's not the most entertaining way to finish someone. You know, ground attacks, ground and pound, it can get ugly and bloody, and it still can be some entertaining. Some submission ability can be entertaining. But for heavyweights, I think most the average fan wants to see them on the feet, trading. For Parkin, he fights a lot like Alexander Romanov, who just lost his past weekend against Marcin Tybura. He wants to grapple. He wants to bring the fight to the ground. He's good at it. He's a good wrestler. He likes top control. That's where he exists. On the feet has a pretty good jab. Not an amazing jab, a decent jab. Now, what are my concerns for him? Well, I kind of just said it. If he cannot get the fight to the ground, if he has to fight in the feet, that's where Neves has the advantage. Neves has swifter hands, more fluid movement. I mentioned that Parkin has a jab. It's an okay jab. So if you force this fighter, Parkin, to fight on the feet, he's going to be at a huge disadvantage. And that, from all types of standpoints, makes him a one-trick pony. I've never seen him on the feet look amazing. Now, his opponents, too, again, have been... Not the best. This will be the toughest opponent for him, I think, by far. And especially on the feet, he'll be outclassed, outmatched. Now, when he goes in to take takedowns, right? One fight in particular, I can't remember the guy he fought, but he fought a guy where he came in for a takedown, and the guy was like, flop, 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 pieced him up. And you can see his head flopping around. He sort of falls into like that double leg position to takedown, keeps moving forward. It's, it's a blip on the radar. But I thought to myself, it reminded me of something. Remember when Curtis Blades fought against Derek Lewis? And Derek Lewis just timed the perfect uppercut as Curtis Blades was coming in. And Blades was, Aladdin, sleeping. 
the way that Parkin comes in with his head wide open going in for takedowns, I'm sure the Neves camp is looking at some knees, uppercuts, moving the feet, whatever he can to just stay away from these takedown attempts. But having watched Parkin on film, he's made that mistake. He's coming with his head wide open. So this counter strike idea that Neves might have, it's a possibility. Parkin has to improve in how he comes in for his takedowns. At some point when you come in for a takedown, your hands will have to move from your guard to get the takedown. But how you set it up can at least limit the amount of damage you take coming in. We watched a handful of fights that have been in this film, about six or seven fights in total. All those fights are part of our free video library. You can find them down below. You'll see those links in our description here in YouTube. In conclusion, this is a low-level MMA mixed martial arts fight between two heavyweights. It's on the contender series for a reason. To choose one side and bet, I think would be a bit careless. The best prop for me is the fight simply not going the distance. I think that's where you're the safest here. Now, if you don't want to bet it either way because it's low-level, I get it. I'm edging Parkin. I think he has the path to victory with the takedowns, top control, Neves questionable cardio. But if it's on the feet, though, Neves has a chance. Now, looking at the money line right now, I'm even more attracted to Parkin because he's sitting at plus 165. I wonder by Tuesday, though, will this line close and get close, you know, get a little bit closer? I don't know. I, I think so. They're both 5-0. and When you watch them in film, you don't see much difference. Neves is 22. Parkin's 26. Yeah, on Tapology, Parkin's age is not listed, but he is 26. I found that on SureDog.com. My last few thoughts on these two fighters. Cardio-wise, there's an advantage for Parkin. Striking-wise, an advantage for Neves. Experience, about the same, though you can argue in the case of Parkin with those eight amateur fights, he's had at least some more cage time. When it comes to grappling, definitely advantage to Parkin. It depends where this fight happens, but either way, I don't see it going the full 15 minutes. You've got two heavyweights, low level. One has a history of cardio issues and the pressure of having to do something amazing on there to get a contract. Though we did have a heavyweight two weeks ago get a contract by going to decision. I think Dana White, I don't know, felt bad for the guy. Long story short, we're on Parkin. May pull the trigger on some kind of wacky parlay lottery parlay where we have him in there like you know 15 20 bucks on a parlay where he's a piece of it with some other dog on this card but for now we like parking that's our choice good luck with this fight guys Let's and this brings on. you to the end of the episode guys i'm gonna give you a summary of our picks to win at the top we like parking in the main event flowers aguilar Saman, and the first fight in the card we like gomez i know a lot of underdogs my thinking here though is this it's low level mixed martial arts these are very young fighters to have these big spots minus 300 minus 260 just seems to be way too big use a parallel for you guys Look at the UFC 278 card last weekend. You had guys like Woodson in there, Romanoff, Usman. People have minus 300 spots, and they lost. Now, imagine this. Low-level fights, young fighters, to me, it's an opportunity to hit some of these dog spots. The spots I like to bet, I'm going to put a sprinkle on Parkin. I'm going to put a sprinkle on Flowers, Aguilar, and Saman, all straight up on the money line. For Denise Gomez, I'm not going to bet her straight up. I think she wins the fight. Here's the part I like. I like. Gomez versus Amanda going the distance. Gugaladze versus Flowers, the fight not with the distance, and Neves versus Parkin, the fight not with the distance. Three leg parlay, I don't have the numbers yet for that because it's not available. And those props become available though. I like that parlay again. That parlay is again Neves versus Parkin, the fight does not with the distance. That's the main event, heavyweight fight. Then Gugaladze versus Flowers, no distance. And Gugaladze is an animal. He comes forward. He's a crazy man. That's been indelible. He might win the fight or he might lose. Either way, the fight's not going the distance. And then the Gomez versus Amanda. We've got Gomez coming in here off of a weird, awkward win where she came back and won, but didn't show the best of herself. And Amanda is very safe. So I think there's a women's bout typically goes the over two and a half, goes the distance. So that's the part I like the most. We'll have some more action on this. I don't know exactly what, but look at our profile and bet tips. You'll see our profile there. And also check us out on Twitter and you'll see what we have available for this fight. But those are our picks again. We like Parkin, Flowers, Aguilar, Saman, and Gomez. Good luck with this fight card, guys.